94.9 KUOW Seattle, Friday, January 18th, 2008. I'm Megan Sukis. Microsoft is an economic powerhouse here in Seattle, and yet few people outside the company understand the culture that helped the software maker grow from a small operation to a worldwide monopoly. Performer Mike Daisy turned his time at Amazon.com into a book that launched his theater career. He's now based in New York City, but still fascinated with the business culture in the area. For his new monologue, Monopoly, Mike got an inside peek into Microsoft's inner workings from a friend who worked there. Mike, what did you want to know about Microsoft? I've always been fascinated by it as a as a company because it has such an enormous footprint uh, on the entire computer industry and the tech industry. And then uh, when I was living here, I mean, it, it always sort of uh, hangs over the whole area like, um, well, very much like, like the empire. I always think of it as being very much like a very dorky version of the empire from, from the Star Wars movies, like this, um, you know, this huge monolithic entity that, you know, controls everyone's destinies. But the, but the stormtroopers are all playing Dungeons and Dragons and like, uh, and they're not quite as scary as 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 you anticipate them being and and um and that's what fascinated me about it was that so many people i knew worked there who were these incredibly smart incredibly intelligent driven people and then i'd say to them like but why is your company making some of the decisions it's making if everyone there is so smart and they and that usually that's usually what would would open people up and they'd be like I, I have I don't know. I don't know. We're all so smart. Like everyone I know is so intelligent and so driven. We're all here together. But the the weight and the inertia of all these people in this organization, it's almost impossible to get anything done. Well, what's interesting is that corporations, they actually have all the rights that individuals have under the law. Uh, and that wasn't always the case. Uh, early on uh, in the 19th century, there was a huge debate about the corporate charters, uh, because when you made a corporation, the whole reason you would make one is if a number of people wanted to do something that was bigger than any one individual. So they would get together, form a corporation, do a project, and they'd have a charter. And in the charter would actually be the terms of the corporation's dissolution. Solution, which is very important. Every and everyone had it because that was integral. You would never make a corporation that didn't have terms for when you will be ending the corporation and why you will be ending it. Uh, because if you didn't, a corporation, since it's larger than any one individual, could just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and could become sort of an indefinitely growing thing that has no boundaries because as human beings, we are born and die, but corporations don't face that. And so it was very important them to have that. And it, those uh, controls were removed through the 19th century, and um, the monologue uh, sort of aims to talk about that, the, the changes that happened, and, the, and, and when we bestowed the rights to corporations to to continue on beyond, not to not be bound by charters, and to be able to do business as people and be answerable to no one. And that can that can bring us around to Microsoft, which yes. has gotten this personality of being. The evil empire. And what did you find out from your friend? He came on board as a high-level vice president at Microsoft. And when he came on board, um, they often give you a task right at the top just to sort of like prove your mettle, like a first task. And the task he'd been given was to um, make a report to uh, Bill Gates personally about what was wrong 
with Microsoft Office. And if you're familiar with the corporate culture at Microsoft, and if you're familiar with Microsoft Office, you'll know that this is, in fact, a suicide mission because, um, I mean, this is a company known for, you know, like extremely uh, uh, passive, aggressive responses to things, like holding in all the rage and then throwing a chair at someone. You know, like, really, like, uh, thing, you, you don't go and, like, just say, you know, you don't even talk about what's wrong. You talk about, you know, synergies towards the future. You don't actually say, you know, what's wrong with something, and especially not about the thing that brings in all the money that the company makes, you know, the centerpiece, the jewel in their crown. But um, he really wanted this job. He really wanted to keep the job now that he had it. So he decided the only way to make it work was to really, you know, commit to it. So he goes to Bill and he um, what he did is he did this demonstration. He did it as a. as a, a software demonstration. So instead of talking about Microsoft Office today, he said, like, I just want to demo for you an older version of Microsoft Office. And he opens up a laptop and he fires up a really old version of Microsoft Word. It's like Word. It's like I must have been like 5.1. It was very, very old. And he fires up and he just does a really standard demo. You know, he's typing. He's like, here we have bold and italic and underline. And you can see these are the fonts. And we have, um, this is the first, we have spell check that's new in this, in this uh, edition. And he's going through it. And, you know, Bill uh, Gates is a very smart man. And so he knows exactly what my friend is demonstrating uh, uh, under the surface. What he's saying is, Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the features that, you know, any reasonable person would ever want in a word processor are in this version of Microsoft Word. And all the versions that have come out for the 15 years after that are full of weirdness they're slower and stranger and and features many many more features you know and because every time they release a new version of microsoft office um it has to do something new but the problem is people's um you know they, they type and they write letters they haven't actually changed the way they write letters at all in the last 15 years so um the the, the software gets stranger and stranger and slower and stranger because they keep bundling more and more features into it and it gets actually gets harder and harder to use. And so he shows this to Bill and Bill actually, um, you know, my, my friend actually thought he was over. He was waiting for the, you know, the laser sharks to come out and kill him. But, um, but Bill said, you should show this to everyone in the company. And that actually became my friend's job of sorts was to make the same demo speech to one group after another talking about this exact thing, the, 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 the idea that, um, that the software uh, that doesn't need that many more, doesn't need all these features and it doesn't need to go through this process. But the, but the fascinating thing is that it doesn't change anything like everyone would listen and everyone understand. And he said that every group he went to filled with smart you know, really sharp people, uh, or they wouldn't be working at Microsoft. They'd nod, they'd get it right away. But every product group has to build software for people. Uh, they have to put features in because otherwise they can't justify their existence. And they're like, I hear what you're saying, but I like my job. I worked hard to get it and I want to stay here. And out of enlightened self-interest, even though all that enlightened self-interest is actually in the end, not in the interest of the company. So, Mike Daisy, for your new monologue, Monopoly, you got a little peek inside Microsoft, one of our 
most world famous monopolies of, of, of the new century. It's convenient because, uh, you know, they're convicted abusive monopolists. So, you know, you don't have to dicker about like, are they a monopoly? Maybe it's like it's it's nice that way. So what picture did this provide for you about what a monopoly is in modern day? Well, one of the things that's fascinating is, um, you know, we think of uh, monopolies as have, as being all powerful. But of course, you know, they're not like Microsoft was uh, convicted of having a monopoly in one specific area. And they have had an enormous power over the industry. But their defense that they used in the trial, uh, for the most part, was that um, that they are in a very tumultuous industry that turns over all the time. And they're always younger and hungrier people coming up all around them. And it is fascinating how that's true and that the weight of of, of the inertia of all the people and infrastructure inside of Microsoft, the the problems with actually getting a single idea to start in one place and reach the end are so great that that it enables many other companies, uh, even large ones like Google, to start to come up and and, and eat their lunch uh, uh, right in front of their eyes. What impact did it have on your life to go in and look at many monopolies, including Microsoft? Well, I mean, it made me really appreciate the the line between the human and the not human. And I, I find this just about the only clarifying thing when dealing with companies is that um, you're really dealing with is that the, the human beings can make decisions and human beings can be trusted. Human beings can be uh, filled with love or hate and they can uh, turn their lives toward good or evil. Corporations cannot do any of these things because they do not have feelings. So like Microsoft is certainly not evil because it can't be evil. The only thing Microsoft can do is a corporation. It exists to increase shareholder value and get as big as humanly possible, which is why every corporation, you know, if it had its way, would become a monopoly. So like every corporation sort of aspires to become immensely large. In the, in the, in the monologue, I talk a lot about, about Walmart, and Walmart also has some of the very, very similar issues to what Microsoft faces, where they've become so dominant and so powerful that the weight of them actually starts to crush them down, you know? Like the government starts paying attention to the fact that they're actually you can actually measure how much of our trade deficit comes from Walmart and people start becoming concerned. What happened to you by looking at this so closely? Well, you know, it it, it was interesting because it gave me like a richer appreciation for what it means to take a stand on something. Because very often I think people, I think we compartmentalize the good we do in the world or, or we perceive the perceived good where we're sort of like, well, I live the way I live, but I do write a check to the wilderness fund and, you know, and then, you know, sort of balances out. And what it caused me to do is really reassess that mode of thinking. Like, I don't think like I don't I'm I'm trying not to live that way. Um, it made me really value the fact that, that whenever anything good happens, when I see good being done, it's because humans working within those systems work against the odds to actually make things happen. And that makes me appreciate humanity. You know, like um, one of the stories in, in, the, in, the, in the monologue um, is about Nikola Tesla and really his struggle to change the kind of electricity we use uh, to the form we actually use now against Edison, who had this huge monopoly. And 
it really was his enormous sacrifices that made that possible. And it, what and, and and he really he sacrificed an enormous amount and 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 died penniless and alone and um and gave up all these patents and in large part did it in order to help the adoption of this technology. And that's the kind of decision a corporation can't actually make and only people can make. And I find it really inspiring to think that um to think that 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 despite all the money and power that's in these structures there's some basic things they can't do or understand and that means that there's room for for humans to to matter and so uh it gives me hope actually and looking more closely at the monopolies and businesses rather than feeling crushed down it really it really gives me hope and i think it's always a good thing when we discover humans humans still have power yes. in this world oh absolutely absolutely Mike Daisy is a performer and writer. His latest monologue is Monopoly, and it opens tonight at the Capitol Hill Performing Arts Center. Check KUOW.org for a link to more information on the performances as well as Mike's website. I'm Megan Suki's Jeremy Richards' is producer. Friday, January 18th, 2008, 94.9 KUOW, Seattle.